from Cleveland, Ohio. This is the Cleveland Stage Podcast with your hosts, Tyler Whitten and Ian Wolfgang Hins. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cleveland Stage Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tyler Whitten, along with my co-host, Ian Hens. And we're here today with our good friends, Tom Fratari and Becca Mosley. Tom... Hi, guys. Wow, that's real... <laughs> So Tom Fratari is a member or participant in our Stage Rights program, right. his play Mama Moon, which was uh, he helped develop here at Ensemble Theater through the Stage Rights program, uh, will be part of our um, annual Columbia New Plays Festival beginning yeah. in March of 2018, uh, directed by Ian here. Yep. Stage managed by the wonderful Becca Mosley, who is also works as the... General manager General here at Ensemble Man- Theater. There you go. Operations manager? At Kane Park. Okay. General manager. Different place, yes. Look, Becca is like the person who is the lifeblood of the theater. Oh, so sweet. If she were to, for some reason, get married and run away, <laughs> In that order, we would all fall apart. So, uh, but anyway, but Becca has also been a part of uh, a lot of the new plays that we produced here in the last few years. She was in that god-awful, what was the one we did last year? Oh, the it one, terrible. it was written by that guy about was, the dad. It was about a dad in a box or something? Yeah. It was rather touching. She had one scene in there. <laughs> was it D asterisk CK in a box? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Becca's had a lot, to, a lot of work here with our new plays in, uh, in development and production. Uh, Tom has been with our stage rights program for how long, Tom? Either three or four years. It was right after um, Iceman. Iceman coming. Four years. Four. Yeah, I know. Time flies. So it's four years now. Yeah. And how did Mama Moon come about? Um, Really quick. um, So it was the year that um, Philip Seymour Hoffman died, Mm -hmm. uh, sadly of a heroin heroin overdose. Uh, he and I grew up in the same hometown, and we're about mm. one year apart in age. I didn't know him, but I knew his brother. Mm. And uh, so we're from Rochester, New York, and Philip Seymour Hoffman was much beloved there. And uh, it really affected me. I was kind of angry at him for that because mm. it gave my hometown a little black, little bit of a black eye. <laughs> and I don't mean that personally or rudely or anything like that. <laughs> That's it, what know. did it for Rochester. <laughs> <Yeah>. Everything <laughs> was fine about Rochester <laughs> until Philip Seymour. I didn't even wonderful. know he was from there. Yeah. But, but there was just this feeling of overwhelming anger at him, a man who had everything, who had millions and millions of dollars and a great loving wife, girlfriend, wife, and three lovely kids, just throws it all away on a heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. So uh, that started me off on the path of, of, of thinking about addiction and why is it that all these celebrities who have all this money and have everything going for them just can't seem to escape it? Mm-hmm. And simultaneously around the you know, cl- roughly the same time, a dear friend of mine said she was going to write a play about uh, Mama Cass. And, and I've, I was born in 1966. I was probably conceived to some songs by the Mamas and Papas, so my mother says. And so, <laughs> so the Mamas and Papas have very much been a part of my life. I grew up playing 45s mm-hmm. of theirs. And uh, so when my friend said she was writing a play about Mama Cass, I went to Wikipedia right away and read and read and read. And I go, wow, this is just a great character. And then I read and found out that she sadly died in a London flat in 1974. And then roughly four years later, Keith Moon died of a heart attack also in the same London flat. 
And um, from that moment on, I knew I was going to write a play about Cast El- Mama Cast Elliot and Keith Moon. And did you tell your friend that you stole her idea? <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> there it is. I didn't steal her idea. She can still write that play if she wants. <laughs> but, I, but she planted the seed, and I went off in a completely different direction. And, and that was fine. But, but that, the two of them dying, obviously, uh, they were both into drugs. They were heavy partiers. Uh, and then the addiction that I was, you know, that's still prevalent now made me realize this is something I had to write a play about. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how, what was the process of writing this play uh, specifically within the stage rights? Uh, you know, what did that provide for you? Oh, the stage rights are just fantastic. Uh, the norm here in the stage rights is to bring in roughly 10 pages and everyone shares and critiques it. Um, having gone through the playwriting program at Ohio University, I'm much more used to writing full drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, a different creature, hard to share a draft with a, with a group, but I would much rather get it all out on paper first and then bring it in for critique or criticism. So that's what I did, and uh, the first half of the play was met with overwhelming success. Everyone loved it, and then the second half had some issues, and I was even aware that there were issues, and this is probably two, two and a half years ago, I was aware that there were issues that needed to be solved in that half, and it's taken some time. But the the stage rights group was uh, just a wonderful opportunity to get uh, honest criticism from a group of writers and actors, and it was incredibly beneficial. And this play was written because of my involvement in the group. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Tyler and I talk about what stage rights is a lot of the time, and so it's interesting to get a perspective of somebody that actually right. <laughs> comes and, and you know participated in it and has a work come out of it. No, another one of the reasons we're uh, actually doing this podcast is because we have auditions uh, coming up here for Mama Moon, written by Tom Furtari, here at Ensemble, and that's going to be a world premiere in March, correct? During the Columbia New Plays Festival. And we have auditions this Saturday from 2 to 4.30 p.m. Uh, so if uh, you're out there and listening and you want to punch your ticket from Guam and <laughs> flying. We're huge in Guam. We're giant. We're bigger than the Beatles in Guam. <laughs> Come on down, and uh, we'd love to. We'd love to hear your monologue or hear you do some cold readings from the script. So that's another thing. But what is it like as a playwright to finally, you know, tonight we had a we had the first round of auditions. So what's it like getting ready for that? What's it like getting, you know, okay, you've been coming to workshop, you've been writing this play forever, and now all of a sudden, I mean, is it sinking in like? Oh man, they're actually going to be people listening to this thing that I wrote. Yeah, this is the stage where you start getting real nervous. You start getting real self-conscious. Uh-huh. Yeah. In a nutshell, yeah. It's not a pleasant experience. I mean, it's something that I haven't gone through in a long time. And in fact, I texted my acting daughter. I said, do you think actors get nervous at auditions? Mm. What about the writer mm. <laughs> when yeah. they're sitting there? But uh, we had some good candidates tonight and uh, auditionees. So it's a it's an interesting process. Good. Mm-hmm. Now, Becca, you've been involved uh, with the production of quite a few new plays, including several of mine. Yes. Yes. Thank you for all your hard work. You're welcome. Uh, you know, what do you see as being the through line um, in producing new plays? You know, what advice would you give Tom, for example? Even though I'm sure you guys have had this conversation a million times. <laughs> But, you know, or even new playwrights who are out there who may be in a similar position where their play is, is up at a festival mm-hmm. um, or a theater. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think, I mean, it's, it's your first opportunity to really bring in a, a creative team, right? And that's what's exciting about this particular step in a new play of production. So that up until now, you've had maybe people within the group reading for you. You've gotten to hear some voices. Maybe you've had some actors come in and do some cold reads, you know, just to kind of get a sense of how the play sounds and is it what you want. But now you get the chance to bring in a, a director who's going to put something on it, and you're going to bring in a stage manager who's going to put something on it, and actors that are going to bring their own their own process to it and their own take on the characters. And while I really appreciate that we can do this and have the playwright present, because that's awesome. I mean, we do O'Neill, and we can't really have O'Neill here because, well, he's dead, you know. But, but we, we do have the have, next best thing. Yeah, we do have Ian. <laughs> Ian, who won a uh, Cleveland Critics Circle Award for directing <laughs> O'Neill. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, but either way, you, you get this chance to have the playwright in the room with you, which is great. You get to ask questions, you get to ask for clarifications, you get to ask for rewrites. But I think it's also a chance for the playwright to not, not take a step back, but to kind of remove yourself a little bit and trust in the process. If the playwright had 100% say on, on the final decisions that were made in the production, it would be a very different process. And this is kind of a chance to bring in those outside voices and say, okay, so it held up at the table reads, and it, it held up when it wasn't moving. Now it's on its feet. This scene needs work. Or mm -hmm. now it's on its feet, and these actors need something else here. Or maybe we need to cut this or change that. Or, and it's great because you get to collaborate, and you get to have the person there who can really say yes or no, or this is my art. But I think that for a playwright in that position, it's important to respect the process and that this might be a very painful process in some <laughs> regards and it might be a really scary process but it's also the most exciting right because no one else has taken a stab at it yet no one else has put a flavor into it yet and mm. that's what these people are here to do so it's fun and I think you know we're also in a an enviable position enviable position of having a working relationship with the author mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. which is good for us because we know their voice a little bit we know their taste and it's good yeah, for, for them sure. because you know I would think Tom would feel comfortable enough to say to um, be a part of the process mm -hmm. and feel comfortable enough with working with Ian as the director to say you know if a note comes across like hey what do you think about this part of the script you know Tom would feel comfortable enough to be like nah I think we're gonna keep it mm -hmm. right which mm -hmm. you know the mm -hmm. final word is his um, and I is think it that's not when you're O'Neill. That dude's dead. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's I think it's one of the great things that Ensemble's doing is fostering this new work with local talent, so that these relationships can continue to flourish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's so, Becca? This is a question for you, I guess. What's sure. like? What's like the funniest thing that you've seen working on these new plays? Uh, writers do because i got a great story about tyler the first show <laughs> the first show we ever produced of his it was great in fact i think there's still a pathway in the theater that yeah, you were more out um, behind oh, the right. seating section i don't think he yes. stood still for the entire time we were working on was that, that ned or was that kingsbury that was ned it would have been ned you were not for kingsbury mm -hmm. you were not for no, you were, i came you up a couple times you, a couple came, times. you came and saw the show no that was ned because because too late because you were you were expecting your first kid right mm -hmm. you didn't oh, want right, him to be yeah. born on st patrick's day oh it's right and that yeah. was on top of the fact that this was the first play that you had produced and james uh, rankin and val young are in this play and it was a great play yeah. but you were so nervous you just kept pacing back and forth and back and forth even during the shows yeah you just kept pacing back and forth and back hey, and don't forth. watch your place that's a horrible <laughs> idea no. i'll tell you where i kept the bottle of booze backstage <laughs> I think it, it really 
has been, I mean, to, to not name names or point out specific instances, it has been the physical reaction of the writers when they sit in the room and just watching the moments where you can see them go, oh, God. And they just have to get up. They have to leave. Mm -hmm. They can't be there either because of what they're watching happen to their script or because they've finally taken a chance to watch it. They're like, oh, God. Oh, God, that's horrible. I, I wrote that. Oh, God. Yeah, and, that's, <laughs> and they can't watch it. They just physically have to remove themselves. And, and there's, there's like a, an incredible game of poker that goes on because you don't mm -hmm. want the actors to think it's them. Yeah. Because <laughs> 99% of the time, you're, you're, you're hearing it through different yeah. ears and you're thinking, well, this is just garbage. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I wrote this. <laughs> and you don't want to like react to that because the, audience, the actors are going to think, well, he's, they're going to get self-conscious mm -hmm. thinking, well, I'm mm -hmm. doing this wrong. Right, and you don't want that because it's not their fault. You mm -hmm. wrote, you know, you wrote this crappy play. Yeah, it, it, it is very similar. <laughs> not you, to Tom. The... I'm just saying, in my experience, <laughs> yeah. this is what goes on in my head. I, I think there's a lot to be said for kind of the image of a of a waiting room, right? Mm -hmm. You're waiting for this baby, <laughs> this play, to come to to come to life and come to fruition. And the I think the visceral reactions that some playwrights have is it's very similar to maybe what you'd see from a a, a waiting father. You know, I was waiting yeah. for this thing to, to happen and to, to be. Yeah. Yeah, except, you know, there was, uh, there was a lot less blood in giving birth. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so I have another question, and this is kind of bringing it back to the Mama Moon side of things. Um, you know, this is a play that's written based on historical characters, right? So these mm -hmm. people are, are people in the consciousness already. Mm -hmm. They're not somebody that necessarily they're coming to the theater to meet for the first time, even though I think you can make an argument that they are, but what are your your experiences individually with the mamas and the papas, <laughs> Mama Cass and Keith Moon? Like when you hear Mama Cass, what's the first thing you think? And when you hear Keith Moon, what's the first thing you think? Sure. Becca. Oh, great. Thanks. Um, so I actually have a very pleasant memory for the mamas and the papas. I think immediately of my mother because Yay. that was the kind of music I grew up with in my house. It was the mamas and the papas and folk music and, yes, John Denver and all, you know, this kind of this nice, beautiful sound. And I think of her voice. You know, I think of Mama Cass singing. And then I remember when my mom said that she had died very young. And I actually remember being a kid and being like, oh, God, all these really cool people died really young. <laughs> and she told me a little bit about Keith Moon, but I wasn't as familiar, you know. But the first thing I think of is just, you know, that, that beautiful low voice. And just remember my mom kind of dancing around the kitchen with me as a kid. You know, it's very positive memories associated with the mamas and the papas, for sure. Same with me. I think mm -hmm. of my mom, too. Mm -hmm. um, she turned me on to the mamas and papas. Those were her records mm -hmm. I played. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those were some of the earliest memories. I must have been maybe three or four at that time. Yeah. Um, Keith Moon, I came to later in college. Mm -hmm. I had a I had a roommate who did nothing but play the freaking Who. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was wonderful because I hadn't really listened to them before. I mean, I knew of them, but didn't really appreciate them. And I, mm. and if if I learned anything at the University of Buffalo, it was that the Who were a kicking band, and they were, they were really really good. Mm -hmm. I uh, actually never had a relationship with the mamas and papas. You're too uh, young. Yeah. Well, no. I think my parents Wait are too old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they were Canadian, so they were into country music. <laughs> and whenever I hear Keith Moon, I have to remind myself that they're not talking about 
Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, right? Because he's still alive. Right. Yeah. But I always get those two confused because, you know, it's the same. Keith. First name. Well, it's Keith, but it's also like <laughs> the drugs and the partying rock style and the fact that they're like at the top echelon of their what they did. Yeah. And as somebody who recently in the last few years has decided to, to take up drums, uh, you know, Keith Moon is somebody I just will never watch on YouTube because I'll just never touch no. a drumstick again. Never be there. He was the drummer, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yes. he was the drummer. He wasn't the guy that does the scream on CSI. Right. Okay. That's, that's somebody else. I actually worked a Who uh, concert, obviously, Yay. when I was at uh, Ohio State at the Schoenstein Center. They what came, year? Oh, they came through. This would have been like 2006, uh-huh. maybe, or 2007. Maybe it was eight. I don't remember. It's it all you know kind of all blends together. But um, <laughs> that was a great concert, and I and I remember you know I remember these old guys getting on stage and still kind of getting after it and kind of thinking, boy, I wonder what that was like in mm. in their youth, right? I wonder what that was what that was like. But I my my mom is and the papas uh, uh, <laughs> story is kind of funny because we were at one of my dad's best friend's houses and. Uh, we were kind of out in the garden, and it was late, and we were drinking, and, and they grew up together in high school, and they were somehow talking and reminiscing about the 60s. <laughs> and at one point in time, I think my dad's friend said, you know, oh, yeah, I really like the mamas and the papas. And my dad was like, yeah, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh. And, and they, so they fought for a little bit about whether or not the mamas and the papas actually sucked. And it ended, as all true, as all true arguments should end, with the statement, it's free country. <laughs> <laughs> it's somebody storming off. <laughs> it's a free country. I think that night was also when I was introduced to Rock and Rye. So that might have had mm. something to do with it. I don't know. But. Yeah. Uh, so that's my, but my mom listened to the mamas and the papas, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's it. You, yeah. It's it's funny how we come to those those female. So three voices. of our three of our moms listen to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think you come through those female voices mm-hmm. through your mom through in your, a lot of ways. Through the female right? figure in your life. Yeah. yeah, and then I think you know the father. My dad was you know Jimi Hendrix and the Who and yeah. and all of the you know all of that um, mm-hmm. really kind of hard hitting uh, rock music from the from the sixties. My mom was the country, and the yeah. and the Pointer Sisters, and oh, the mom yeah. was in the Papas, and, and that softer side of things. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that this play has both of those components, right? It's mm-hmm. got that, it's got that kind of um, that duality to it, which is great. I think it's going to be a great show. There's gonna, it's going to be rock and roll. There's going to be uh, you know a lot of adult themes discussed in it. So don't bring your kids <laughs> if you're flying in from Guam. You know you probably should leave them at home. Uh, just come to Cleveland for the night, fly back in the morning. You know, we'll be up all night afterwards. But it's going to be a great time. And I think, Tom, you've written a great play. I really do. Thank you. Thank you so much. I I'm think... so glad you're directing it. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. It's early. <laughs> we'll see. We'll it's all about mid-February. Yeah. Hold on to that feeling. We'll, we'll, we'll see Remember how that goes. That but, you know, um, I think it's exciting. It's always exciting doing new plays. And actually, yeah. this is uh, this is the first new play I've done since Kingsbury Run. Okay. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I directed that. I don't. Did I direct any other new plays here? I don't think so. I think right. I was. You've done so many great period plays. Maybe mm-hmm. it's, it's a good thing that you. I love doing. working on new plays. I think you know we've the the new plays festival in particular has gone through a lot of iterations, right? I think the first year we did two. Shows, we did two, yeah. And then or three? Did we do three? No, we did two. I think. I thought we did, we did mine two. and. Uh, yeah. 
dancing, right? Yeah. And, uh, not Miracle and Wonder, that wasn't. No, no, was we, did, we did that as a full. Was it Stewart's? Nope. No. See, we don't even remember. Yeah, we did so many shows. and Lizard play were later. But I mean, it's gone. It's gone from doing a lot of shows in rep, right? Mm-hmm. So we've done is up to I think we had four. Was shows. it Sasha's five. play? You ran. We did five Sasha. The same we did time. Sasha's play. Mm-hmm. We did Cindy's plan. We and these are all play. people who came through our Stage Rights program. Yes. Yeah, and that's kind of where for the it, most part. That's yeah. where it all started, right? And, but, you know, we've done as many as four plays. I think that was the most yeah. we ever did, and I think we about killed ourselves that right. year. Uh-huh. Doing four in two spaces, so yep. it was split yeah. between two spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and now this year, I think we've decided to try just doing one, and then what are we going to do in the small space, Tyler? What's the... Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of readings. So we have, uh, you know, we've been offering education classes, uh, including script analysis and directing and playwriting and short playwriting and auditioning on, on top of the stage, right? So we've, we've got a nice group of writers in our in our community here at Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're gonna be doing, we're, the whole month is gonna be based on readings here uh, and at locations around uh, Cleveland Heights and Cleveland, uh, but especially using our small space. You know, we'll be seeing a lot of new plays uh, that were written by the people who we've been able to work with in the last few years. Uh, through stage rights, certainly, has been the biggest window in which people have kind of come in. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's, it's going to be a nice month. I think it's a nice thing that we're doing. It's an opportunity for writers to hear their work. It's an opportunity for the community to see a lot of new work. Uh, and you know, and there's some real gems that come through that mm-hmm. and plays that go on and have lives uh, outside of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plays have been, have had readings. A lot of the stage rights folks have had readings over at, uh, playwrights local, playwrights local and they Brannigan just had hers last night. That's yeah. great. Did you direct that one? I did direct that one. How'd it go? It went really well. Yeah? Uh, you know, I think she's she has a nice kernel. The good thing about it is understanding the process, right? Like, there's the old saying, plays are never finished, only abandoned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think when you actually hear it on stage for the first time and hear other actors and hear a director sort of get their hands on it, uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of things you wouldn't normally see. And you're always rewriting, I think. So as a, as a kind of like a final thing that Tyler can edit out if he chooses, let's talk about nudity in the plays. <laughs> What, what works with nudity? What doesn't work with nudity? Nudity does not work on stage, and I'll tell you why. I think strip clubs would beg to differ. <laughs> it's a very different context. Right. <laughs> oh, is it? Is it really, though? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you why. Because it's, theater is real, and it's in your face, so to speak. And when you see the strip club here. and when you see nude, that's what you're there for. Though. <laughs> it, you know what doesn't? You know what the adage is in strip clubs? What's Storytelling that? does not work here. Just <laughs> I've just had that. Show, we should go do a podcast at the strip club. Show your like, privates. Why are you guys trying to tell? And that's story? it. Right. Okay. Stop telling jokes. <laughs> that club is over there. <laughs> Next door. No, but nudity doesn't work because when you see when an audience member sees the naked body on stage, that's all they're seeing. That's all they're thinking about. That's all they're focusing on, and whatever else is happening on stage is secondary. And nudity isn't representing anything other than nudity. And in theater, we're putting a representation of life on stage, not the real thing. It's the equivalent of somebody saying, I'm so sad, while they're crying. And it's like, we get it. We know what you're doing. This is not representing anything. Mm-hmm. And when it's nudity, it's, it's, it can only be nudity, because that's all the audience is thinking about. So it, it, I would agree. It takes it takes the audience out of the play yeah. briefly because of the realization they're looking at a nude body. I right. Agree. And now you're like, I mean, if it, every I've seen a play where a dude walked naked across the stage, and that was all he did. 
and he was probably on stage for four seconds. Was that bent? Is I that don't remember. Bent? I don't remember. And uh, and I remember all I thought about for the next five minutes was like, how did this guy prepare before he went on stage? Did he work out for six months? Did he jump up and down before before he walked out on stage? Was he looking at magazines before he went out there? What's he thinking he? about? Meanwhile, no. I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. Like, does he, did he shave? Was he not, like, how, who makes that decision? Is that the costume designer? Is that the director? Very different questions. I mean, yeah. I, see, I see what you're saying, but I mean, I can list, I can list off oh, yeah. a lot of, I mean, Equus, we talked a- about that Equus earlier. Equus and M. Butterfly has an amazing nude mm-hmm. scene. Okay, yeah, but M. Works, Butterfly it is, it's part enough. of the story. Well, you know. Hair. Yeah, hair. I mean, it fits with the characters. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, try it's not extreme. I'm not saying it's don't do it. Place. I'm just what saying. What about uh, Crying Game? That's a movie. Oh, yeah. You can have tons of nudity in movies. I thought, I thought it was a play. It'll probably be a musical soon. Isn't it a play? <laughs> Crying Game a play? Everything will be a musical soon. Originally? Yeah. Oh, I, I think it was know. a screenplay first. Oh, okay. Podcast sure will be a musical play. soon. <laughs> yeah. But I think in some plays, nudity can work well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shakespeare? And, <laughs> this should only do Shakespeare nude. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other podcast. I, no, I think it's an interesting conversation, right? Like, I, uh, I, I can see where you guys are coming from as far as that goes, you know. But at the same time, I also point to like, all right, but you know, David, right? Michelangelo, mm-hmm. that dude's nude, right? They try yeah, and the first thing goal. anybody looks at is his wiener. Well, I mean, isn't that Part of being human, though. I'm not saying I'm a prude and I don't like nudity. <laughs> Are you sure you're not saying that? Because I'm just saying, what are we like, servicing by having naked people on stage? Equius and hair; those are all done in like depends huge... on what your audience is. Um, right. No, I, I tend to think that if nudity serves a point, it's fine. If nudity is there to forward a character's development, if it's there to forward a plot point, cool. If it's nudity for nudity's sake and it's a shock factor, then you're in the wrong genre of work. I don't, I don't think that nudity should just be there. Um, I've done nudity. I've done nude shows. It's fine. It's As a performer, there are moments where that really does add to what's happening on stage, what's happening to your character and, and your fellow actors on stage. But I think it needs to serve a purpose, for sure. Right. This has been Tyler. And Ian, and remember, Tyler, drama's conflict in the mind of the audience in all the world's a stage. Uh, where are the lights? <laughs> <laughs> that was really bad. It's, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> no way is okay. that what we're doing. Hi.